Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Hello and welcome back to Fragmenters. I just have to say thank you so much for everyone that's tuning in. It is so exciting to see my little podcast blossoming right before my very eyes. Today, we are speaking with Kathy Grasset. She has 20 years of IT experience under her her belt, and she is now a business coach for entrepreneurs who have that corporate background. So Kathy, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you ended up where you are. Uh, Sure. Well, first off, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. I look forward to the chat that we're going to have. So it's really not a glorious uh, intro in here in that I wasn't one who had this like really firm understanding or belief of what I wanted to do with my life, right? I envy the people that are in college and they just know, they just know what they want to do. I was not one of them. I started a community college to get the basics because I didn't know what I wanted and then uh, applied for a few different colleges and one happened to give me a full scholarship for the final two years. And I said, okay, well, they gave me the scholarship. That's where I'm going. Yeah. Well, now what do I do when I'm there? And it really was a matter of me looking through the course catalog and just seeing what looked <laughs> the most intriguing. And what looked the most intriguing to me was something called management information systems. Uh, which is just simply the science of uh, bridging a business's needs with technology and being that go-between and figuring out how to leverage technology to meet business business goals. And the words that stuck out to me when I was looking are like system, process, and you know those sorts of things. And it's in my DNA. I'm very organized. I am very system-oriented, process-oriented. So those words just stuck me. It stuck with me and. In it, you know, in my generation, that was when, you know, ooh, computers, that's <laughs> a great field to get into, uh, right? I'm, I'm Gen X, so that was the thing to do. And so that's how I landed there, really, was just by me looking at the course catalog saying, that looks like the, that, that looks like the one. That's what I signed up for. And that's how I landed in IT. I finished my last two years. I graduated with my bachelor's of science in um, business administration, majoring in management information systems. And I had a job right out of college working for um, one of the big five at the time, consulting firms, Ernst & Young. Did that for a couple of years, realized I didn't like the travel because I was traveling every week, going to client sites. And then ultimately figured I didn't, I also didn't want to live in Michigan anymore. That's where I was living at the time and I don't like snow. So I said, where do I go? Let's go to Florida. And when you think of Florida, what's, what's one of the very first things you think of? Disney. And mm-hmm. so I looked on the, the Disney job site, found a job as a business analyst, applied for it, came down for an interview. And by the time I came back to Michigan, I had the offer waiting for me. I put in my two weeks and moved down a couple of weeks later. I mean, it was very fast. And oh, wow. that was where I spent the rest of my IT career, almost 18 years um, with the Walt Disney Company. And I started as a business analyst, which is the, it, that is the 
that is the position that embodies management information system. It's that's the person that is kind of the liaison between a, a, a an IT department and your end users, your clients, whatever you call them, mm-hmm. and uh, making sure that we get all the requirements documented properly for what their clients need in a technology solution. And then working with the IT team, the designers, the builders, the coders, the testers to implement that technology to their satisfaction. And then I just grew in that role, in that capacity. And I went on to become a project manager. So I was then responsible for the projects that implemented technology um, globally uh, for Disney. And then, you know, became the manager of those project managers and just simply you know, had that as my trajectory. So from an IT perspective, because IT is very broad, um, you know, I wasn't a coder, wasn't a developer. I don't do hardware, right? There are lots of IT components. And most people, when you think of IT, you think, oh, you're the tech person, right? No, I'm not (laughs) that person. Um, I simply was on the management side where I helped facilitate and organize and plan and execute projects to deliver technology to clients within within Walt Disney World. Um, and that's where I left. That's where I left. Uh, you were the rare, you were the rare people person in IT. It takes, I was the people a, person. Yeah. They, it they takes usually, a special people or a special person to be in IT and to communicate with both the super techie side, as well as the layman or yes. the that is, that's, that's a great point because that was that particular role is you had mm-hmm. to speak the IT language to know how to communicate what the business wants to the people that were going to build it. And then in turn, you had to get the feedback from the people who are building it, who's saying, well, you can't do that or whatnot, and communicate that back to the user who has absolutely no idea how any of this works (laughs) and do it in a way that both sides uh, can work effectively together. Yep. Yep. So you are a techie translator. In a way that one of many, many (laughs) responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I I suppose so. (laughs) So when you got into it, was it your aspiration to climb up the corporate ladder? Was that your, your goal? Initially? Yes. Mm -hmm. Initially. Yes. But you know, I have to keep in mind that at that point I was in my early twenties, I graduated at 21, had my job and that is what I wanted to do. I actually had not getting married, having kids, those sorts of things wasn't on my radar yet. And at the time, I didn't know if it ever would be. So yes, it was right. my aspiration. I wanted to go out and tackle the world. I wanted to give me more work. I lived at work. I loved it. You know, I was a workaholic. I wanted to do, give me all the extra assignments. I'll volunteer for everything. I, I just, I wanted to just learn everything and move up as quickly as I could, as far as I could. In my early 20s, into my late 20s, and that's when it started shifting. But first, yeah, yeah, I did. Nice. And is that kind of what you grew up with? Like yeah. where your parents were in the corporate ladder too? I'm always yeah. intrigued because um, you end up leaving after 20 years, at least. I think that's what we were talking about. And you go into entrepreneurship, which mm-hmm. is not, not the normal trajectory of people. No, it's not. Um, So like a typical family of my generation, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. um, And my dad was the the breadwinner. And he worked in business. And um, as growing up, I couldn't tell you what the hell he did. I I had no idea. I just knew he got dressed up in a suit. He carried a briefcase. He went to an office. He went to business lunches. 
Um, you know, he met with clients. I had no idea what the hell he talked about, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. So it is interesting to, you know, two very different career choices between parents. And he's the one I chose. He's the one I wanted to be like. And I didn't know what that really meant. I just knew I wanted to dress up and carry a briefcase and go to an (laughs) office and do stuff. And I did. That's what I ended up doing. Now, it wasn't until later that I learned he was in automotive. (laughs) So I did nothing like what he did. Um, But that's, that's what I emulated was him in business, making the money. I wanted to make the money for, for myself and for my family. Eventually mm-hmm. that was me. So his path is what I chose. Nice. So you said that you had a business or what was your degree in again? Um, so I ended up getting a bachelor's of science degree in business administration. So a BSBA and mm-hmm. majored in management information systems. Okay. And then did you have to get any other schooling? Did you get any certificates? Do you have anything that, yeah, that you would I recommend did. in that? Field? I didn't have to, but I did. I did go on um, to get my MBA while I was still in my corporate job. I went to get another master's degree when I was done, but that that's that was part of the entrepreneurship. entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go get my MBA did get some project management certificates. Um, I do consider myself a project management expert. Um, I do have some IT specific certifications that do me absolutely no good right now. <laughs> For example, I have something what's what's called an ITIL expert. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all the rage a few years ago and I do have that certification, but it, I don't use it as, as no bearing on what I do now, but I do have a few certifications that are IT specific, yes. Thanks. So what was your biggest obstacle while navigating and working through this career? In the early stages, nothing. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. Um, In fact, it made it easy because I moved away from my family in Michigan and came to Florida by myself. Therefore, I had no family here. I had no friends here and work was my life. So I could spend as much time as I wanted there and I did. And so there really weren't any obstacles. And I was fortunate enough to work with um, some very great managers who, you know, helped facilitate and guide my path forward. I've also worked with some people that weren't quite that great, but, you know, that comes with the territory. So in the beginning, no obstacles. I loved it. I loved the fast pace, the dynamics, the hours, everything about it. The obstacles became or came about once I got married and had kids, right? Mm. Because then insert priorities (laughs) that competed with the job. Um, Because I got married when I was 30, 29, 30, and I went on to have three sons. And so that became the obstacle at that point was how to balance, especially after setting a precedent at work that Kathy is the go-to person. If you want it done, she's your girl, right? She, mm-hmm. she'll get it done. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm perfectly fine admitting that I was damn good at what I did, right? I was the one they brought in when things went bad to recover it. Mm-hmm. I was the thing that they, I was the person they gave things to when no one else could, you know, get it going. Kathy will figure it out, put Kathy there. And so that too also contributed because I ended up getting things that I didn't want or I had no desire to do, but I ended up with them because, you know, 
Kathy will figure it out. Kath, Kathy doesn't want to figure it out. <laughs> so so it, very we, little boundaries. Yeah. So, um, and, it, and that was a lot of me too, because I didn't set those boundaries when I was in my twenties, I didn't set them because I didn't need to, I didn't want to, I didn't have any. And so that set a precedent in the company, a company where people are long-term, right? At Disney, yeah. when you look at Disney, it's not being sure you're going to have people who are in and out in two years, three years, but Disney is mostly a long time. It's, it's all about longevity. People easily celebrate 30 year anniversaries working there and longer. So I, I had set a precedent that I was the one to volunteer for things and, and go above and beyond and do more. And then you add that to the fact that I have kids mm-hmm. and guess what? They have doctor's appointments and, oh, they get sick and they have events at school. And I, that was a very, very difficult transition. I remember with my very first son, they at the daycare center that we that we took him to they did a little Halloween parade and they did it during the work day and I'm like how can I do this I have to go to work so I missed it Mm -hmm. I missed it and I went to work and I was so heartbroken that I missed it and someone that I worked with who had kids before I did um, she was there and she took pictures of my son and sent them to me And fortunately, I had a really understanding boss at the time. And he said, no, that was priority. Uh, If you have another event like that, you go to it. So that's, I worked really hard at that to to start going to the the things for the kids. But it was a balance. Three kids and a demanding job. That That was the obstacle at that point. Yeah. No, that, I think that's something that everyone with children struggles with. Because... It's not only that, it's you're balancing work and children, but also me, because you have to be an individual in order to be healthy and have, you know, be a good parent and worker and blah, blah, blah. And you were married. So you had to cultivate that relationship as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that everyone listening has struggle with that balancing act for sure. I know I do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that there was a, a moment toward the end of my career there where I was sitting at my desk and there were three gentlemen who were standing outside in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And all of three, all three of them have stay-at-home moms for their wives. Okay. And they were talking about um it was a big project. Everybody was contributing in some way. And they were talking about how they don't know how they would be able to keep up at work and put in the hours if it weren't for their wives at home. And I sat there and I'm like, all the things they were describing their wives were doing that was allowing them in their mind to be at work and keep up. I was doing that too. I was there at work doing the same thing they were doing, if not more, and I was doing all of the things they were saying their wives were doing that was allowing them to, to, to keep up at work and, and keep the hours. And I just sat there and I thought to myself, I have nothing left to prove. That right there does it. I don't have anything to prove is that I'm doing both. And I'm keeping up just as well as anybody else. I, who am I trying to, to, to impress here? Um, and that was a pivotal moment. Like, I, I yeah, it was a pivotal moment because you know, you can say that, you know, everything's equal, you know, at more modern times, but I don't know about you, but everybody that I talk to, 
the biggest burden from, from a childcare perspective still falls on the woman. And it's not so much because she has to, I'm not saying that, you know, the partners aren't stepping up, but I think it's because the, the mom has the need and feels like they can't miss anything. So they will take it on. Um, even if the partner says, I'll do it for you. No, I want to be involved. And so we take on that burden still, it's still not 50, 50. And a lot of that's by choice. Um, But I'm like, I have nothing left to prove here because I'm keeping up just as well as anybody else. And I'm doing the job back home that they're saying they couldn't do while they're at work. And I'm like, I, yeah, I was, that, that was a pivotal moment. It's like, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm tackled what I needed to tackle. I've done it. I've shown myself, right. I've hit, I've hit my peak. That's it. There's no more mountain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would definitely be kind of hard to, hard to sit on just because it kind of makes you realize how much you just, I don't know, beat yourself down. Like just, yeah used and abused yourself in order to be all of all of the check boxes that you're you know you feel like you have to fill out yeah that's yeah because I mean the corporate environment no matter where you go whether it's where I work where anybody worked the corporate environment still has an environment of those who do more and work more hours and do you know pull in the extra hours and do more work they're the ones that advance and I'm and I don't make out you know it's not absolute I'm sure there are you know excellent companies where that doesn't happen but um, I worked even when I worked for the consulting company I worked within a lot of other corporations and I saw this time and time again the people that that go above and beyond and not and not in quality measures but in quantity measures yes those are the people that get recognized and as the standout employees and and rewarded and the people that don't put in the extra 20 30 hours but still does a damn good job at what they do they're 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 overlooked they're overlooked yep well and they're usually not as loud in my experience you know that's not always the case but usually they're they're quieter they're not as hey look I did. You, I, I see jokes about this all the time. And I actually had a friend, she posted a thing of her texts where she was like, I did the dishes and I did this and I did this. And she's like, sometimes I just want to be an asshole because every time he does something, he makes sure to tell me. So every once in a while, I'll just yeah. tell, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's the so, same yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same. And and I'm one of those that I, I don't have to, I don't feel like talking over people and being the loudest. I don't talk to have just hear myself talk. And there are so many people like that. And you do, you have to be kind of that obnoxious person that talks the loudest and talks over people in order to get noticed. And I'm not that person. And if you're not that person, then you're going to have to be either be satisfied with where you, where you are, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or you're going to have to make a choice to do something different. Yeah. That's kind of the corporate environment. When you have 500 people, you only hear the loud ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Never really, never really thought about that, but so you said that was a pinnacle moment for you. How did you, I don't know. It just seems so scary. How did you say, fuck it. 
I'm done with this 20 years and I am going to be my own boss and I'm going to take over the world by myself. It took me a while to get to that point because, um, right, there's this myth that your corporate job is secure and stable. And, um, mm. and I say it's a myth because it is, right? People, people have this false belief that there's security and stability in a corporate job, but there's not because they can replace you at a moment's notice and they have no qualms about doing it. There is no stability. So it took me a while, plus with the fact that, you know, I made six figures and that's a really hard thing to give up when, <laughs> when you're going to the unknown, you know, the whole golden handcuffs thing. So I probably, at least when I finally said, I, you know, I got to start thinking about other options. It probably took me a good two years to kind of do this. Yes, I should. No, I shouldn't. Yes, I should. No, I shouldn't. And ultimately there was a point where I had a health scare where I was having really bad pains in my chest that radiated through my arm, up my neck, up my jaw. And right, the first thing you think of is, oh gosh, this has got to be a heart attack. And, mm -hmm. and I went to the emergency room and um, there was a slight, just the ever so slightest blip on a diagnostic test. And they said, okay, we're going to admit you. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And they ran every test imaginable. Here I had a CAT scan, MRI, an ultrasound. They did so much. And um, there was nothing wrong with my heart. And I checked out of there with no diagnosis whatsoever. And they said, you're probably just stressed. And oh, I, nice. how embarrassing. I just ran up several thousand dollars in hospital bills, two days of work, only to find out that I was stressed. And I'm like, that just tells me a lot. And to top it off, when I went back, the person I was reporting to at the time didn't even come to see how I was. Didn't even ask me, check on me, even though I explicitly said where I was <laughs> when I was gone. And that was very telling as well. And I said, it's, it's time. I can't take this anymore. This, it, the, the paycheck no longer justified anything that I was going through at that point. So the advantage that I had though, was I was a, I'm a project management expert. I made my living planning big ventures, multi-million dollar ventures with lots of resources and schedule and finances and then executing it. That was, that, that's my, that's my game. Mm -hmm. um, so surely if I can manage, you know, a global multi-million dollar software project, I can manage myself getting out of here. And so I did it. I created a plan of what I would need from a financial perspective, a time perspective, resource perspective. And I put together like a little project plan of what I would need. And then I executed it. And from the point I made the decision and created the plan, it was 14 months. So this wasn't a quick thing. This isn't, no. this isn't some rosy, I'm going to quit in two weeks. I'm going to submit. And then I'm going to jump. Right. I, I, it was 14 months between the day I decided to do it and the day I submitted my resignation. Um, cause there were a lot of things that I had to get in place. And then I, and I just had these, right. We call them, we, what do we call them? Oh gosh, I've already forgotten what we call them, but there was something <laughs> we, we um, had an IT that we called it was kind of like your success criteria, right? Mm -hmm. What are the things that must be accomplished in order for you to say that this was successful? And so in my mind, what needs to be in place for me to say that the transition from corporate to um, entrepreneurship is successful. And I just focused on meeting each one. And I had a really solid financial plan and I, and I executed my plan. 
I executed my plan. I had it all laid out and I did what I was going to do. And I'll tell you though, I didn't, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near where I was when I left, right? I have, even though I'm still in coaching, which is what I was when I started, I've pivoted and swirled so much in that time. So I'm not saying that that's, that's a fun rosy picture either, but I did give myself kind of some grace period to kind of figure things out. And that's important yeah. too, is even if you have, even if you do have it set in your mind, what you want to do, give yourself a grace, some grace some time period uh, to kind of figure it out. Cause you may quickly realize that, that uh, you, you don't really want to do that or, or you, you know, sur- are surprised with something along the way. Because things happen, things change. It's brand new territory. It's completely mm-hmm. new, a whole new set of skills. And um, it probably will not go as planned. So you have to kind of plan for that as well. Well, that makes complete sense. And we started talking about it before the podcast started because I like to get to know you better than my my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but to expand upon it. So we were talking about how when you're in the corporate world, you are, I I don't know all the correct words, but programmed, you're, you're socialized, you're, you know, whatever it is that you do the work that's provided to you, you do it this way, and then you get to go, you know, to the next level. And then you can, when you're at this level, and I would, I should just do video. I talk so much with my hands, (laughs) but when you hit this level, you can make between just pulling numbers out of my butt, 25 K and 35 K. And then you meet everything in there and you go to the next level and then you can do 45 K to 55 K, you know, and you're programmed to only listen to what they say. You're worth this. If you do this, then you go and be your own boss and there ain't nobody telling you what to do. So you're like, what the fuck do I do? Where am I good? Where, you know, where should I keep going? How much am I worth? You know, and then you have to get through the, how much am I worth? Because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're not worth a fucking dollar amount, but you're told you are in the corporate world. So yeah, going on. It's so so funny with me and my, uh, some of my peers, we always joke that we want to get out of corporate because we're sick and tired of being told what to do, when to do it, where to do it, how to do it, why to do it, right? We're so sick of that. We want to call our own shots. And then we get into our, you know, our own businesses and then we're like, oh shit, what the hell do I do? I just wish I had someone to tell me what to do. (laughs) And it's, it's just, it's a really crazy dynamic. Yeah. 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 So just knowing that that's a thing, it makes a lot of sense that you didn't start out exactly how you thought you would, or you haven't ended up exactly how you thought you would. Yeah. Cause I mean, to, you know, you, and you mentioned it and that's what I focus on in my business now is that when you're in corporate and the longer you're in corporate, the more this is true is that you have been steeped in an environment where you are, and I'll use your word because I use it, it, where you're programmed. Mm -hmm. You are programmed in a certain way to enable you to survive and succeed in that environment, but in that environment only. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the biggest area that comes down to is money. Because in a corporate environment, you become programmed to believe that money is a finite resource. 
Okay. There's never enough of it because budgets are always getting cut. Mm -hmm. Um, Budgets don't get approved because there's not any money for it. You're getting programmed that the money can get taken away, right? Very easily. End of the year. Oh, we're going to take the money away. Happens all the time. You get programmed to believe that it's very hard to come by. You get programmed to believe that you must work painfully hard to get it, right? And And if you don't spend it, you lose it. And that you lose it. Oh my gosh. Yep. And, And that your growth from an income perspective is linear, that you stair step only a small percentage each year, if that, Mm -hmm. right? So all of these things related to money are programmed into you. And there's other things that are programmed into you with with respect to like productivity and, you know, the alignment to your values and all that. But money is really the big one. And we carry that forward into entrepreneurship. And it's funny because if you were to ask someone just leaving and and ask them, you have a problem with your money mindset, you know, chances are they're going to say no, I would have, because you think to yourself, I make six figures, I manage multi-million dollar budgets or whatever it is they do. I don't have a problem with money. And I thought that too, but you unknowingly carry these beliefs that you've been programmed with about money because you've been in that environment, you carry it forward. And the thing is, it affects everything in your business it affects who you choose to market to what you choose to market your offers your pricing absolutely your pricing it affects how you engage with potential clients on sales call everything is affected Um, and until you realize how you've been programmed to succeed and survive in a corporate environment how it's no longer serving you on the other side if you don't realize that then you're you're gonna not be able to grow as quickly and as as far as you would like to, but it yeah, it affects everything. I call it your corporate subconscious because you've you've been ingrained, you've been steeped in that environment, and it's now a part of you. And you have to there's layers you have to peel back, and yeah. money is the biggest one. Yeah, that makes so much sense because I have a friend who lived the corporate life and then had some major health issues. And I've noticed major health issues is usually a turning point where people are like, who the fuck am I giving all my time to? Exactly. Not myself. They don't give a shit about me. They replaced me on a dime. Right. So yeah, she had her health issues. She got better. And then she was like, you know what? What got me there was energetics. I learned about energetics, blah, blah, blah. I want to teach people. And she started an Etsy shop where she was doing some of the energetic practices that she got um, certificates for. So I went and looked. She's my friend. I love to support my friends. And I messaged her and I was like, hey, blank. (laughs) Almost name dropped. But (laughs) hey, blank are you up for some unsolicited advice? And she was like, yeah, sure. Whatever, you know, cause we're friends. And I was like, you're not going to make any sales because you're priced far too low. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know everything that you've put into it and I know how good the services are that you provide. And when I went on your Etsy, I even questioned whether I would buy from you. 
and I know what you can do. I'm like, you have to charge more. And she was like, well, I'm just starting. And yep. I was just, so when you said that, I was like, holy shit, that's why. And she did, I mean. Yep, yeah, that is actually the, yeah, that is the probably the biggest, most common mistake Mm-hmm. that service entrepreneurs make and probably product as well, but service for them for, for, for sure is that they over deliver and they undercharge yes. by far. That is the biggest and most common mistake they make. And it all stems from that money mindset that money is a finite resource and, and it's painfully hard to get it. It's painfully hard to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't charge that much. No one will pay me that much. And those are all beliefs that are sitting there under the surface that are influencing everything, the way you think, the way you act, the way you make decisions about it. And it affects everything in your business. And that is exactly why people do that. That yeah. is exactly why people do that. Well, and yeah, I knew it just be as someone who buys, you know, as a, as a shopper, yep. that's how I came to her. Plus, you know, I've been in business a long time. I've had my own businesses and had to go through, I want to sell it for as cheap as possible. And I was making almost nothing and having to up your prices and negotiate with people. You know, I had a few years under my belt, but it was so funny because I told her that. And I was like, I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm just letting you know that as someone who, all right, I'm working through getting I shop too much. So I'm working through that, (laughs) but um, your price way too low. And I would not trust you to give me good service. And I think a month or so later, she doubled and tripled her prices because she started looking at what others were making. Mm -hmm. Her business started going gangbuster. And I'm like, see, I wasn't being a dick. Mm -hmm. It was real advice, but it's so funny that because she was brand new. She thought that she had, I mean, some of these services sell for thousands of dollars and she was charging like 15. And I was like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of thoughts there is that, is that, um, one there's, you have to make the distinction between a commodity versus a transformation, right? Commodity are just those, those things that don't differ very much between whoever sells them and it's 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 a it's an expense right it's a you mm-hmm. you don't get that money back it's a product whatever and so you price you price shop for that okay but the the service is a transformation it isn't a thing yeah. it is something that transforms your life whether it makes you more money it helps you lose weight it whatever it helps you to achieve something to be something achieve something learn something whatever the case may be And that's a service that isn't just a one and done commodity type thing. That is something that provides value, not only in the the engagement of interacting with the person who's giving it to you, but it affects you positively over your lifetime from that point forward. Yeah. And that is worth so much more than what everyone is probably charging. So yeah, there's def- so there's a distinction between a commodity and a transform transformation, a result, a transformative result. Yep. Um, and then I think I totally lost track of what the other thing was, but it'll probably come to me. But and, and the thing is that it, it's not something you overcome once because you're gonna increase your prices continually over time for as long mm-hmm. as you stay in business. 
And that's such an ingrained little gremlin in you that it's going to rear its ugly head every time you go to up your price. Every time you go to up it, you're going to be like, oh, I don't think I can do it this time. That's maybe a little bit too much. No one's going to buy this. Right. And it's so it's evolutionary and you're going to deal with it time and time again, unless you have the strategies to to, to deal with that. Yeah, um, I think I oh, it just wait, a minute, did it just come to me? Oh, it did just come to me. The <laughs> other thing is um, and, and, and I'm like this, if I'm looking, you know, and I'm comparing. Right. And I'm price mm-hmm. shopping. I'm one that doesn't typically take the lowest price because to me, psychologically, the lowest price must mean it's an inferior product or service. Mm -hmm. I personally go for the, I mean, unless it's not outrageous and totally out of my budget, I personally go for the thing that's more expensive because obviously there must be more value there. Okay. And so people value more what they pay more for. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. They value more what they pay more for. It's a psychological thing. People are invested. People, they, I mean, they, they, they're in it. They're all in. The more they pay, the more they're all in. And then they get the results that um, they want to achieve because they have more skin in the game. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And I love the way that you, I can't remember one of the words you said, but you said you're providing like a product or something transformational. Mm-hmm. I think part of the issue, because she actually priced her products well, they were a little under, but you know, she priced mm-hmm. them well. It was the transformational stuff that was very much undercharged. And when you said that, and when we were just talking, it made me think about something my granny said, it's better, to, not it's better, but something about, being broke and helping versus having money and greed. You know what I mean? If if you have money, you're greedy. If you're a helpful person, you don't have as much. So giving the trans, I hope this is making sense, but giving the transformation coachings or products or whatever it is it's not a tangible thing you're doing but it teaches them something and she like me grew up in the church and she like me had to go through the stuff of if you give something it has to be free you have to be the martyr you have to do that stuff so that makes a lot more sense why those were the things that she way undercharged yeah absolutely Absolutely. All the stories that she's been told over her entire life Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, caregivers through school, friends, peers, the media, society at large, it all compounds and we don't even realize it, but it's all those things are sitting under the surface. And it's, oh, I could go on and on about the psychology of this. I love the minds. I love talking about mindset, but it's basically when we go to, to, to react to something, to think about something, to make a decision, our active thought processes tap into that subconscious to the beliefs that we have formed over time to figure out what we need to do about the situation in front of us. And when your beliefs are all about money and that you shouldn't charge a lot and money is evil and mm-hmm. um, right. People are greedy if they have a lot and you know, all of those things that we have learned over the years, those things are influencing, influencing often unnoticed yeah. every decision we make. 
And until you can acknowledge what those stories are and then reframe them into something more positive, which is, and I'll tell you, the pos- the, the pos- more positive is absolutely possible absolutely possible that money is abundant there's plenty enough of it to go around it's easy to make it it's easy to keep it you can invest it with ease right all of those things are absolutely possible but until you believe them you're going to be making decisions in your business that do just what you're talking about you're going to over deliver you're going to undercharge you're going to have awkward conversations with potential clients about the price, mm-hmm. right? And therefore your business will not grow at the rate that you are hoping for. Yep. It all comes it, down to money. Yeah. I'm actually listening to, I just looked and forgot. It's called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Have you heard of that? Oh yes, I have. Yeah. Super short, super good. And it talks a lot about this too, which is probably why it's at the front of my mind while we're discussing. Yeah. But that's a really good one. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but that is the end of the riveting conversation between myself and Kathy. Tune in next week at Wednesday and you'll get to hear the rest of our conversation. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. To continue this and more conversations, you can always find me at d at fragmentors.com. That's D-E-A at fragmentors.com on Instagram and Facebook at Fragmentors. And I also have a Facebook group uh, called Fragmentors where all the ladies with like-minded business sense hang out and enjoy. Thank you again. Bye. We got the right stuff. We put the hammer right down. Wanna be like us?